In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? This is episode 19, where we talk about Lime Bike Scootergate, the crisis management tabletop exercise. We talk about several votes and updates from tonight's meeting and the public forum. Welcome to R&D in the QC, episode 19, and it's been a doozy. It's been a deuce. We're not allowed to complain about long meetings anymore. I'm it's actually, so tired. It's actually not that. It's not as late as we sometimes record, but uh, we started it, our meeting at four o'clock today, and it's now ten o'clock. Um, but we covered a lot of ground, and and more importantly, uh, a lot of our citizens got to cover a lot of ground and talk about things that are important to them. But so, before we get to, say, that, we'll to that, we scooters, <laughs> scooter gate. I'm going to call it scooter gate. Scooter line bike watch. We uh, had quite a quite a couple days so since our last episode. If, if folks are listening and don't know about Scootergate, then Scootergate. then then we are the only news source you have because it's been the only thing yeah, the it. TV stations and print media outlets have talked about for the last seven days. Um, so breaking down what happened day over day, um, a, a month ago, Braxton and I, a couple of us, rode the scooters. Well, let's Thought break it was cool. even further than that and say there are four companies four in companies. our Sydney in our city who are doing a bike share pilot program. One of them is was formerly called Lime Bike. It's now just go by Lime. And so that's all going, I'm not going to say completely smoothly because we're getting pushback from citizens. But about it, it's, a it's a pilot process. We test that it, we, we didn't, them. We, we didn't try to go out and figure out the whole world. What we said is we will issue a pilot permit figuring out some basic things to the companies and we'll see how it goes. And see how the companies are as corporate citizens in Charlotte. Uh, And that ends circa October, I think. Now, what is one thing that is not covered by a pilot bike permit? Uh, Well, among other things, uh, like space shuttles or tanks or whatever, motorized scooters. Wait, tanks are not included? Yeah, the tank share is later. Tank share? Are you kidding me? You can't be giving Lime the public tank. these incredible ideas. Dude. I think you and I should start a tank <laughs> share. Tank share. <laughs> There's only like one or two, but uh, it's R and D tank two. share. Coming All right, soon so tank to a sidewalk Man, near that you. That is freaking genius, dude. Um, anyway, you, uh, we digress. Electric scooters are not included in that. However, they are super awesome and cool. I've ridden them several times now. They're great. But what really frustrated us as we uh, rewind the clock back to early last week is that uh, we had learned that the city was was moving, maybe not as rapidly as we would have liked them to, but was moving on creating this new class of pilot permit for uh, things that are not self-propelled bikes, i.e. scooters, electric scooters. And uh, they were in conversations with Lime Bike who uh, unilaterally stopped having those conversations, dumped the scooters on the streets and decided to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And then, and I was still okay with everything there. We would have worked it out and figured it out. But then, <laughs> then they decided to send an email to every one of us. I say us because I have the app. Charlotte users. All the Charlotte users saying how, this great carbon neutral, you know, save the world type solution is being, is being, is, 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 is being lo- which is loved by all, um, is being, yeah, is being all of a sudden attacked by evil city government and click this button and we will generate basically the email equivalent of a robocall and send it to uh, all the city council folks, the mayor, and then a couple of uh, folks in, in our departments. And here's why I was so bothered by that. One, completely unnecessary step. I was actually out there championing and working for them to get this done. I'll tell you where I was it. when they sent the email. I was at a dedication of a park, like a memorial dedication of a park. And my phone was buzzing so consistently for like 80 minutes in a row that people were looking at me. We got 350 emails is probably my guess. Yeah. And all in the span of an hour and a half. And No, and it petered in and out throughout well, the afternoon. The, the fact of the matter is that 
you know, there are often times where people take to email campaigns to advocate for an issue, and that's that's fine. That's certainly part of anyone's right. In but terms not of their via strategy. a system that is completely well, template, and well, you're not even writing the message. Right. A lot of people actually do that too. That's how a lot of these you emails at least copy get paste the emails in. To your, well, to your it thing. gets it gets sent to con- emails get sent to Congress that way, but they have you know programs and staff I think that, that pull them out and count them. But um, but the fact of the matter was the email that they sent, and you and I both received it because we both downloaded this app to, to test out the bikes and stuff. The email that they sent literally, at best, told half the story. And yeah. so people were rightfully upset based on what they were reading from this email, which was not the whole story at all. There's things about electric scooters uh, or yeah, motorized scooters that obviously far different from bikes. You know, should they be on people be on sidewalks or in bike lanes or in vehicle travel lanes? Should people have to wear a helmet? Should they have to be 16? Should they have to have insurance? There's all these safety concerns. And I've, I've heard from one person who's already been injured on one. I've heard from several who've almost gotten in wrecks with them. And we've heard, we actually on Twitter, because you and I had both posted some stuff, we got a ton <laughs> of feedback. The media picked up both of our tweets. I started getting a lot of responses, I'm guessing you did too, from folks in San Francisco who've said that these scooters have just turned into like, I don't what's the what's the word I'm looking for? But basically just new, this huge public safety nuisance. And so while you and I both think these things are cool, the analogy I kept going back to when people would ask me about it was just because we think they're cool doesn't mean that, that we abdicate them from having to follow any procedures. Just because I like pizza restaurants doesn't mean I don't want them to go th- like to not go through an inspection and a um, and a permitting process. So I mean, it can't just be that the things we yeah, like mixing the dough in like a bathtub out back. You yeah, know, you I mean, know, I'd there's still probably eat these that, but like, we want to check on those things. You know, the things that a couple of things that really bothered me about this whole situation is uh, one. Um, the, our email, like I, I, you know, and you and I have discussed this. You do a much better job than I, but even you struggle. Uh, our email volume is almost unmanageable, right? And the fact that, you know, sprinkled into a day's worth of emails that come through through all the noise are one or two really important things. Somebody whose water's about to get cut off, they got three kids, and they, or they're in an emergency or crisis of some kind. That completely a full afternoon engulfed all of that and that's that's much more important than this and and secondly you know this is a this is not a mom and pop shop that's starting up little startup company that big bad government's coming here to crush they have raised in a series b a quarter of a billion dollars they've done this in multiple cities around the country uh and and elsewhere and they know exactly what they're doing. This is part of their playbook in launching in a city where they got all this free advertising in the media for all their stuff. And then it, the, the forgiveness, not permission model is exactly what they do. So it's really frustrating for me to see that. And you know, That's why I went so hard on them on social media. I wanted to set the record straight. And I think they're used to dealing with other cities that maybe has a more traditionally older demographic of representatives who aren't as, you know, on social media and can't strike we will back. will light you up yeah, and I, I mean, I, listen, I like to think of, uh, of, uh, of, of them as fair game to go after. You know what happened? If our Here's, emails are fair game, their, tw- their Twitter handles exactly, fair game. Exactly, exactly, dude. And, and, and he, here's two things that, that are good that I think came out of this. One, not only did I go, and, and I was a bit angry, I'll admit, but light them up as hard as I could out there and, and really point to some of the, the mic- microphone, uh, the, the magnifying glass back at them. But also I started reaching out to a couple companies that did go the right way. And now we've got two companies in expedited talks um, that are Bird Scooters is, is one and um, Spin is another one to roll out as, as early adopters of this new pilot. So we're going to bring new you, businesses that aren't Do either here. of those companies have tank share? Not yet. But you've got <laughs> but them in. So they better be listening in. to the show. So we, all, uh, we always want to make sure. But then, they, then then finally Lime sent an email out on Saturday. Cease and desist to their people. Took the scooters off the streets. They didn't do that in other cities they pulled the same tactic with. They kept them there, and they ended up going to court and paid $300,000. They brought, a, they brought a scooter to a tank fight. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what, we always want so come at us, folks like who listen to our show to, to take away the best ways to be engaged and to be involved. And I will say the thing that people should take away from this is, um, for instance, we're going to talk about the budget in a little bit. And we've gotten 
easily 100, 200 emails about people advocating for their particular issue. They want more money. They think there should be less money, whatever it is. Uh, they support tax increase. They don't support tax increase. I have read every single one of the emails people have sent us about the budget. And the reason I have is because every one of them has come from an individual person who took the time to write it and share their thoughts, their opinions, and their priorities for the city. So whether I agree with it or not, I'm going to take the time to read it because they took the time to write it. I can tell you what I did, and I presume what everyone else on council did with the line bike emails, which were three or 400 of the exact same email, was highlight them all and delete them. And that's what's going to happen. And so people need to understand that it's it's not a bad way to advocate for the issue that you care about. But if you're sending a form letter and we're getting bombarded with them all at the same time and clearly everyone just copied and pasted, it's not going to get read and it's not going to make an impact. It's just going to drive people nuts. If you take the time to write out your own thing and put it in your voice and, and put your priorities and your values in it, we will take the time to read it. So I think that's one thing I want people to understand is we read these emails but for the ones that do it this way. There's one other frustrating point that I just want to mention on this one. I don't even know if I told you this. So as a member, I received the email. So I clicked it and I actually went in and deleted the template stuff, trying to be, you know, a wise guy. And I wrote my own satirical thing on on how, as a city council member, I don't like form emails and uh, robo-spam like this and all this. And I clicked send. Guess what happened? I didn't get yours. Nothing. They have a filtering system where they only approve the messages that align with what they want us to say. So, uh, you know, that, that was another thing that really bothered me uh, when I clicked. See, I didn't even tell you about that. No, but, I, yeah, I didn't get it. But I think the punchline, again, my, my punchline's on top of yours uh, of this whole situation is this isn't about somebody kissing the ring or us stifling business and innovation. This is about a very simple process by which safety just for a pilot's sake, is important for us to have a week or two to sit down and say, are these things allowed to go 20 miles per hour on the sidewalk? When they are in the street, do they operate as mopeds? Do you have to have a helmet? What do our cops do if they pull someone over? Like These are basic things we have to have answered. This was only about enough time for us to, to solve for that, to get it into the pilot. It wasn't about slowing down innovation. It wasn't about getting someone to come kiss the big government ring. It was just about following a process. And 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 I'm so glad they've decided to step back up and reopen that that dialogue. And this council right isn't is I don't think anybody's trying to perfect a program like this before it gets rolled out. But we are going we are committed to having a plan for something before we roll it out. So okay, let's um, never talk about that topic again, if if possible. That's probably not possible. So another thing that happened, we'll just talk briefly on this. Uh, uh, last week we also had a full afternoon of something that I've been uh, very interested in since before we were sworn in, uh, the crisis management tabletop exercise. Um, I thought it was really valuable. We sat down, staffed did a bunch of pre-work. We had an expert facilitator come in and we did something for the first time, maybe ever, but definitely for the first time in this way since the September of 2016 protests, we had uh, crisis management based scenarios that were laid out in front of us in, in kind of, not, not to solve everything, but to have a starting point dialogue of, if things like this happen again, not who's right, who's wrong, the big kind of items that could never be answered in an afternoon, but where are we receiving pieces of information? What's the chief of police telling us so that 11 or 12 of us aren't calling him saying, well, what else is up? Where are we going if protesters start to gather? Um, you know, what? how are we collecting their feedback when we listen to go get actionable results? Because the more and more you practice that, as long as you're not having to do it in real life scenarios, hopefully, that makes you better at it. When you practice it in scenarios like this, you actually um, get a lot better when something happens and you're able to bypass a lot of the mistakes that could be made. So, I mean, what, what was your take? Um so a couple of things. First of all, as is the case with anyone who's not worked with this new council, uh, people underestimated how, how long we stretched things out. So we had like three scenarios, and I, I think we got to like one and a half. Yeah. Um, so again, people need to start budgeting more time for interacting with us. But, um, it, you know, I, I love the premise. I wish that it had been more intense and more realistic and more... Yeah, I agree. Um, because I think that... You know, whatever it is that, you, that you're that you training for that's high stress, that's quickly evolving, 
um, you have to, you, you you know, you practice like you play. And um, and I don't think we practiced like we would hope to play. I think we kind of slowed it down and said, well, what did, think about this and think about that. It should have been, uh, and you and I got a, a very small dose of this. We were chosen um, randomly to be pulled out of the room before all the information was given on the first scenario. Um, very Hostily in, interviewed by dude, our uh, staffers crushed by, that by role. some mock, yeah, they did a great uh, by job. some mock media members, um, and I mean like grilling us and really like even knowing it wasn't real, you kind of felt on the defensive and you, your your hackles kind of went up and that felt like to me the the way this whole thing should have gone where you kind of it really does start to kind of play games with your mind and it does start to create that stress and then you figure out what you do. Um, so I wish it had been more of that. And so maybe it can be that in a, in a round two type of scenario. And a lot of what we ended up doing, I thought, was more media training, which I think is highly valuable. So that Because some of the mistakes, arguably, that were made last time was people not being on the same page and, and some folks saying one thing to the public and other folks saying another. So I think there's value in that media training component. I think that's a part of this bigger picture. But I just wish it had been more... Like, you know, throw us into the fire and then see how we deal with it and then go back and, and kind of look at the game film afterwards. I totally agree. The only thing I'd say, though, is um, this was a major win and a step in the right direction. It was nearly impossible to get staff, some of the other council members comfortable with just doing this. Right. I mean, like everyone like this was it might seem like, oh, yeah, no brainer. Do it. I mean, people were having heart palpitations that we were doing this and that we kept pushing back. They kept trying to make us do it in a closed session environment. And, and Braxton, myself, several others were like, no, let's let's just do this in the light of day and let's structure it in a safer way that de-risk it. So while we didn't get to that point, I agree that I would have preferred us got to, I think we made huge strides where everybody to a person in that room that walked out, maybe was skeptical coming in, said, okay, I see the value there. Uh, and, and this is not a one and done thing. This is something that occurs uh, ongoing. So glad we got to do that. What do you want to talk about next? I think it's budget. I mean, we no, not yet. No, we're not talking budget yet. Not yet. We got we got. So now we're on today, and we had three items for today. We had a, we'll briefly talk about the update we got on Scaly Bark uh, <coughs> Partners and what's going on. Um, and, and then the Envision vote we took. Oh yeah. And then then the budget and what we heard primarily from a lot of folks on uh, fire police. And then some stuff on uh, on on bikes and uh, p- pedestrians. Yeah, we all outlined all that earlier, but I'd forgotten it. There we go. I just recapped uh, it. That's so why you write it down over on that it. side. I jotted it down there. Um, oh, I had to. I forgot, almost so forgot you, it. You again. want me to recap it again? No, for no, no, you? no. I got it. Well, I got so it. we're going to talk about yeah, yeah, Scaly Bark. Yeah. All right. So Scaly Bark. Scaly Bark. A project that's been in the paper some in the last few months. Uh, it is a eleven-year-old project. Yeah. That. Um, that's along the light rail, kind of along the, uh, well, it's on the South Boulevard corridor, right at, obviously, Scaly Bark. And it was where we saw an opportunity a decade ago. I say we, obviously, I don't guess there were any of the same council members a decade ago as there are today. Um, so an entirely different council saw the opportunity to put some affordable housing along the light rail, which is obviously much needed. We, we now often decry the fact that we didn't do enough of that along the first part of the light rail um, and build a parking structure and uh, a linear park that I think you and I both got a little bit of a chuckle about because when we saw it, it's, it should be a little bit of a stretch to call it a park, but it is attractive. Um, and it just never got done. And the reason it never got done was because the developer was seeking a very competitive, very difficult to, um, to win state tax credit. And they sought that tax credit three different times, were unsuccessful for various reasons, one of which has now been uh, rectified in that they were not close enough to a grocery store. That's one of the things that kind of weighs into this decision. People want to make sure you have access to food, um, fresh food, walking distance. That's been fixed now with some of the development. But um, we think we have some resolution now, finally, all these years later. And it wasn't anyone's fault in particular. There's probably plenty of blame to go around on this one. But we, we think we've gotten to a place uh, that you've got opened up in your book to, to talk about that is going to achieve a lot of those things we wanted back then, finally now. Yeah, it, this is just confusing to me. I, I've been told by a number of folks that this is highly complicated for 11 years of history. But what jumped out at me is that 11 years ago, we sold 16 acres and gave a million dollars in housing-based subsidy or value, therefore, uh, 
and the developer went after highly competitive dollars, the 9% money we talk about all the time, and didn't get them multiple times again, but didn't go after any other money, the Great Recession hit, and that was part of the excuse why now things are perfect, like 10 years after literally that occurred. I, don't, I, I have a lot of questions, but one of my biggest questions is why now are we doing this? Why not eight, seven, six, five years ago? I mean, we had leverage. And now we're at a point where, and we, we talk about the blue line extension and thinking oh, we've almost missed the boat on affordable housing and the properties that are there and, and things you could do with a land trust and things like that. Like, imagine what the property value was worth in 2007 for this area we're talking about right there off Scaly Bar. And then this is 2018. I mean, it, no matter what happens, a bath is to be taken. And, you know, I, I just, I feel like... Um, I feel like this could have been done a long time ago, and I'm just wondering why. Well, I mean, it sounds like some of it was unforeseeable, unforeseeable things that happened in in just the economy. Some of it was maybe we didn't write this contract or this deal out as well as we could have from the city side at that at point. Um, some of it was the things just weren't didn't fall into place for them to achieve these tax credits. There's all sorts of things. I mean. My hope is that there, I think you brought this up or someone brought this up. My hope is there aren't a couple other of these floating around out yeah. there that have been kind of just that uh, was my floundering. Big ass. floundering. I don't think there are. I hope there aren't. But, you know, I, I do I think have no it, confidence in that at that's this the case. point, we can only operate from where we now stand. And, we, you know, we can look back and say, well, let's not make the same mistakes we've made in the past. But we can't go back and, and retroactively fix the mistakes that were made in the past on this one. We've got to say, where do we stand now? What's the, what's the hope for this now? And the hope for this now is we put some of that affordability uh, for people to live near the light rail that we, that we wish we'd have done more of. We get some of it now. We get the parking structure we were due. And um, so I think we're you know, trying to make the best out of a bad situation on that one. We'll, we'll circle back to that one, I'm sure, when we get the full update next month on what we'd actually be voting on. And here's my two, prediction. Two weeks, I think. Oh, two weeks. I think so. It's going to be terrible. That's my prediction. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Ever the optimist, yes. Mark Bakari. Uh, Envision. You guys uh, pulled a fast one on us here, did you? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, did you know about this yes, one? Yes, You I did. did. Now, look. See, I, I didn't. No one had talked talk to me about it. Uh, oh, actually, I think you had stepped out um, to, to get a drink or something. Um, but yeah, so I, I did make this point maybe when you had stepped away from the dais. But now I had I had two reasons that I was going to be more intimately aware of this innovation bar in the division. Charlotte and again, th- this one just for 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 historical sake is and maybe you're better. Here's what I knew going into it: we at a retreat had a discussion with some presenters about the circular economy and how it's the hot new thing. And I I was it was a few compelling points, but it seemed very high level and generic, not applied to Charlotte. Which and actually, then, let's bring, I, I'd like to bring Amy Oscar on to the show sometime yeah. to talk about it because she can talk about it far more eloquently than any of us on council because this is kind of her baby and her passion. I mean, it seemed cool. Don't get me it's, wrong. It's like, I, cool. I, thought, I thought it was a, a, some great concepts, but needed to be fleshed out further. So on this one, we have, um, and, and so I was aware of it for, for two main reasons. One, this is very much falls in the purview of the Environment Committee. I'm the vice chair of the Environment Committee. Two, this physical structure that we discussed is in the heart of District 1, which is my district. So I had a lot of reason to dig into this one deeper. Uh, and I but who a, told you about it in the first place? Well, Amy, was it in one Amy of your Oscar briefings and I have been, no, on Amy Oscar and I have been dialoguing since December. Okay. Um, again, partly because it was in my district, partly because I was vice chair of the Environment Committee. Um and I have a larger philosophical point to make about the process by which this came to be tonight, but I'll do that second. First, this is a, a city-owned property that is not um, not up-to-date, not in use really, um, that's going to be used as kind of a, a test kitchen almost, like a model to show people what the circular economy can be and how it can be deployed and how it can be incorporated into the work that the city is doing and the work that the private sector is doing. Um, and I've got some ideas beyond that that I think could be a part of this um, a part of this place, and it's in the Belmont community, uh, right between Uptown and Plaza Midwood. So, and again, I have a couple philosophical points. One is, so I'm at a half million dollars, and the point I made when you had stepped away, uh, kind of in response to something you'd said, was this was actually $500,000 from the previous budget. This isn't in the upcoming budget. So we weren't choosing tonight to do this in, 
in place of any other project we might want to do in next year's budget. This had been allocated. Yeah, totally. But pause your thought right there because here's the problem with that. As it's been explained to me. It was vaguely set aside. Vaguely set aside for something like this. But when you specifically set something aside in the budget and it's time to vote on it and it surpasses the manager's $100,000 pen writing ability uh, to, to, to close the deal on, that comes before us in consent. When it's something that is not specifically in the budget, that comes before, even if it's in the old, in, in the prior year's budget, that comes before us in new business. And we have a chance to actually debate, not kind of, this was kind of just sneakily jammed in there. Whether you knew about it and were comfortable or not, the next thing may you may not know about. Well, so <laughs> and, you, and I'm relying on someone else to just rub, randomly stumble into it and find it. Maybe it's a great idea. Or maybe it's the next Scaly Bark deal where there's terrible terms tied to it and had great intentions in the beginning. And 11 years from now, someone will be like, well, sh- we gave them half a million dollars and now we got this big problem because nothing ever came from it. That's possible. I, but I, so my larger philosophical point, um, for one, a couple of folks said this should have been referred to committee. And I would contend that if we start referring half million dollar projects to committee, we will really bog ourselves down. Uh, In the way the committees currently work. They could be maybe. made a lot leaner and more nimble. And we half a million is a lot of freaking money, dude. It's not It's not nothing, but it's not compared to the hundreds of millions of dollars we talk about in stormwater in a committee. So then my other philosophical point here is... Which we're also not solving. <laughs> yeah, my, but at least we're talking about in committee. My other philosophical point here is... I don't think, and and feel free to disagree, but I don't think that I need to, for instance, and I'll use one of yours to to tug at your heartstrings a little bit, I don't think I need to know everything that's going to happen in the South Park CNIP just to say that I think that we need to do better by the people in that part of town infrastructure-wise. And so for me, if if that's loosely set aside and you say we're going to put $15 million towards the South Park CNIP, that would be like me coming back in and going, yeah, you said that, but you never told me it was going to be sidewalks or bike lanes or, you know, what do they call the thing at Scalyware? Uh, uh, the linear, park. linear Park. So, I mean, you know, how much do, well, how much do we a, need to drill into it? It's if a it's decent not- point, but I will make some, 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 draw some differences. One, CNIP is designed with a very specific process for that. Two, that is voted on the ballot by the people. This is something that is... Uh, that is nothing well, like that. And we're basically handing half a million dollars our, to a group well-intended and great is not city staff like the CNIP staff. Our, is, cal- to, our colleague, Councilmember Driggs, has something coming up in this budget that is for uh, a street extension down in Ballantyne. Again, I don't necessarily feel the Let's need. cut it and bring that money back to D6, man. <laughs> Let's do it. Fine. <laughs> You're really counting on the fact that Ed doesn't listen to our show right now. Um which is probably safe. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I don't necessarily need to become an expert on, is it Bryant Roads, Farm, Bryant Farms Road, whatever that they're going to do the extension on. It's in his district. I trust that if it's a project that we've allocated money to, that he's done his homework on it in the same way that, that I've done my homework on this because it's in District 1 and it's it's something that's really relevant to the committee that I've got a leadership role on. I, it is not possible for every one of us to be an expert on every single thing on every single agenda. And I think that we do have to trust our colleagues to some degree. I think we have a smart group of people here that generally work pretty well together. If if I go to Ed and I ask him about something in District 7, I expect him to be the expert. I expect you to be the extra expert in District 6. And, and I would think that people would, would give um, the chair of the Environment Committee, uh, Councilman Ajmera, myself the vice chair, and me as the district rep, the, the the deference at some level to say, if you guys really feel this comfortable with it and you really understand it, we had six votes all for right, it. All right. So clearly, I, I, I will, not everyone was blindsided. I, I will. And okay. we only had 10 council members. I will say. We I were a person say, short and still got six votes. I can't believe we got four against it, to be totally honest. That was that was pretty interesting to me. But here's the at least two of them were You've on convinced it. me a little bit. Most of them were you've on convinced the me. You've convinced me a little bit in the, the validity of what you've said. The only thing I'd say back is, bring that through the right channel, which is new business, because it was some hazy bucket of money, not a specific thing, which is why that's consent. It's not buried in new business. Then we all know ahead of time when we're looking at the budget, not roughly having to stumble upon it in consent. Yeah. Fair? I I think that's fair. All right. Problem solved. Here in R&D in the QC, all we do is come up with solutions. This is a little unique because I do think most council members probably spend more time 
actually coming through the consent stuff yeah, most week, weeks, but because of week. the heavy lift we had. And so you guys jammed it, it in there on purpose. Well, I didn't put it in there. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that because, you know, we had a 300-page budget binder yeah. to all dig through this weekend, oh, man. we all kind of maybe skimmed over the consent stuff quicker than we normally do, and some people just started seeing things today that they were like, wait a minute, what is this that they would have seen on most weeks on a Friday and asked the manager about or asked me about or whoever. So let's end on the budget. Tonight, since then, we've been reading our huge binder of stuff. We've been asking some questions. And then today, starting at around 5.30, um, we had about 50 members of the community come up and speak on a variety of topics. So, um, you know, we heard a lot of messages. Let's see, Jonathan Griswold was one of those who came and spoke on behalf of uh, FIRE, uh, I believe. And he just, he tweeted us 35 minutes ago, ready to listen to R&D in the QC. I said, we're about to start recording. Anything you specifically want us to discuss? He says, yes, personally, I'd like to hear the discussion on the proposed raises for CMPD, as well as the raise CFD will not be receiving. You heard my story tonight as well as focusing on health care for retirees for anyone hired after July 1st, 2009. So you want to take a first cut at that? Yeah, I think that the intent of this manager's proposed budget, and I think the intent of pretty much everybody to a person on this council was, A, kind of at the foundation, we want to be a place for all of our 8,000 employees that you want to be, that you want to work, that you feel valued, that you feel respected, um, and that you enjoy coming to work every day. So that's our that's what we want for all of our 8,000 employees. I think that, that you and I, and I, and I presume almost all, if not all of our colleagues wanted, was to say, we want that for everybody, but over and above that, we wanna do something for fire, and we wanna do something for police that is noticeably different, and that is impactful and noticeable and extraordinary that we understand that what you and I do on city council, for instance, it might be hard work, but it is in no way putting our lives on the line in the way that a firefighter or a police officer does. Yep. Nobody in this building, um, uh, for the most part can say that they put their lives on the line the way that the CFD and CMPD do. Um, and so we wanted, we wanted to create that differentiation in in our budget to show that value and to show that appreciation. And I think that we did that. What we did, though, was was un- inarguably greater for CMPD than it was for CFD. And the reason, the, the sole reason, I think, is that because we've seen far more of a difficulty in recruitment and retention of CMPD officers, and they've got a vacancy rate of 9 point something, I think 9.4%, where CFD has a vacancy rate of 1.7, I think, 1 point something percent. And so, you know, it's it's the supply and demand yes, factored exactly. into that. And, and, I, and one I narrative think- I kept hearing tonight that I, that I, I don't even know where it came from, but it, let me just dispel this rumor, and I'm sure you would agree. No one between those two, between CFD and CMPD, Not one of us thinks, said, or believes that one is more or less dangerous. And that was part of this decision. I heard that several times tonight, and I want to dispel that rumor. You and I agreed that we wanted, where possible, to treat these the same because they're public service. Now, there was a huge difference in, to your point, the the retention rates and the positions that need to be fired, 9.4%. Of, of positions are open right now and can't be filled. That doesn't exist over in CFD. So that's one quantitative difference there. Um, now, the healthcare stuff, we heard from folks in CFD and others that that was a concern, retirement healthcare benefits, and we pushed to make sure that was included for, for both, both fire yeah. and police. I never once in their Many presentations to us in in the chambers, in the conversations I heard afterwards, heard one person in fire until after the manager proposed his budget to the public and, and handed it out, heard one of them say to me that they had concerns or morale problems or anything with pay. I exclusively associated that with everything I heard from the police. Now, we've heard stories since then from them that, oh, we were concerned. We took it through the right channels. Great. Kudos to that. That's the way it should work. But I never once heard that narrative 
until afterwards. I always thought FIRE's agenda was, yeah, we'd like some health benefits at retirement, but we more want to counteract this narrative that's happening in the media with bad stories about our morale level, about our diversity, about all that. That's the message I took from everything they said. Police was always about 15% pay raise across the board, take home cars, insurance at uh, retirement benefits. Hello, Mayor, how are you? The mayor's saying hello. Mayor, real quick, just say what you thought about this long night we've had. It was a pretty tough one. It was a tough one. But you know what? I'm really proud of the community. The community came out and talked about what was important to them, and that was really good. I think I'm struggling with um, what does the council really want to see and do, and I hope that they'll listen to what the people and their constituents do so that we can really begin to move forward. Target has plans to get that all ironed out before we leave tonight. Yeah, we're going to solve it tonight. Oh, well, that's great. So we'll text you in the morning and let you know. Let me know what's going on. We'll get you up to speed tomorrow. Thank you guys have a good one. Thank you. All right. See, R&D in the QC, we have celebrity guests. Uh, just incredible celebrity stop by here randomly. Somebody, even after even after the staff downstairs, the security staff has turned off the lights 20 minutes ago. So the mayor's right, though. She, that means she could hear us from her office, which is yes, on the other end of the building. We, I have a pro- screaming problem. We do need, I mean, this is, was So here's important. what we did for both. Yeah. We did, and, and, I, and one of the sad ironies of this is that during the manager's presentation last week, we had a technical malfunction where his mic went out in the middle of his presenting part of this fire pay plan and and, and compensation plan, uh, and I think it kind of threw him off, and, and not everything was conveyed in as clear a way as he probably would have had he stayed on his role. Um, what we did for both, we have a better opportunity compensation-wise for folks with two-year and four-year degrees. That's fire and police. We have an extra week of leave for our veteran uh, military members or, or folks who are still serving in the reserves uh, that's fire and police. Uh, we have, uh, we have, as you mentioned, this kind of health savings account that is seeded and and paid into by the city that then can be used in retirement to address some of those retirement health care costs. That again, so many fire and police came to us and said, "This is one of, if not our biggest concerns, is how do we pay for health care in retirement?" The manager found a way to do that that's also physically sustainable for the city um, and we wanted to address that and then there are raises over and above what the the rest of our city employees are getting uh, for both again it's hard you know i understand it's hard not to want to compare yourself and say yeah you know in a vacuum i would have liked what we got here but but why did they get more Um, and i think that's a fair question to ask but i I think the answer that's going to come back from most people that are asked that question is we have to put resources where the greatest need is the same we we talk about this with housing yeah. we talk about there are needs all over the place but we have to put resources where the greatest needs are and right now we have a huge problem with recruitment and retention of police officers um, for a multitude of reasons and 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 so I think that's what the manager tried to address so I, I don't know where we go from here um, I still want to try to to do I want to find something and I've talked with um, some leadership in the fire department. I want to find something else that I can try to champion and, and whip up support on council for um, to to improve the morale around this budget for fire because you know anybody who doesn't think that we value and appreciate the work that they do to protect this city um, it's, it's just not the case and I and I I hope everybody knows that but um, totally agree I mean you know we should be we should be. I feel like we've been a little reactive to that. And, you know, we should do more. The other thing that that has to be mentioned is, so we talked a lot about some of the surprises, personally surprises I had in hearing some of the things FIRE really um, wanted. And clearly they wanted them, but it, I didn't get that message. Police also are a little upset. And we've been getting some messages. We didn't even some talk about that. Some people say police are getting too much. Yeah. And some people are saying we, police didn't get enough. So, so it, like- I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Here's what I am not a fan of. I am not a fan of folks, and I think you and I have discussed it, and you would probably agree, of folks coming up and saying, okay, well, if it's 6.5% overall, but I was going to get a cost of living adjustment of 1.5, and then another, I was going to get a 1.5% this or that, so I'm really only getting one. 
I don't I don't buy that argument at all. You're, like, don't, you're making don't, more money than d- you were. Yeah. T- I, don't, don't say, I would have gotten this, so don't. It's 6.5% if in that argument. I mean, I so can tell you, I, I just not a valid argument. In my me. day job, and, and to be clear, I am not comparing my day job to anything that any of our first responders do. In my day job, over the course of eight years, I think my pay increases year over year have ranged from one and a half percent to three percent, and some of that is uh, is performance based. And but I, none of my colleagues in that in that office have received more than like a three and a half percent pay increase. So I don't necessarily, you know, I don't get giddy over the fact that I get a two percent cost of living increase, but I'm glad I. I'm glad I didn't get a zero percent increase. You know, I'm, so yeah, I, I, I just to don't me think a raise is a raise, and, yeah. and, and and if we're gonna start nitpicking about right. whether just because the cost of living is something that everyone's accustomed to getting, there's a lot of companies who over the last handful of years haven't been giving cost of living right. raises. So that is still a raise, and so my my guidance on that one would be, I just unless I hear an angle that I'm not understanding of that one. I, I, I would recommend not pushing hard on that. Now, on the flip side, though, there are some things that I'm in the process of drilling into to understand. Notable questions like, one, um, we have, give or take, 2,000 uh, uh, police officers. In, uh, so this is highly complicated to read into this budget. See, who's getting what? If I am an officer at level five, does it level five actually feel like and become like a level four? What actual salary increase am I at? And then buckle that in and, and show it in a bundle of like 80% of officers for the whole year will get six and a half. Another yeah. 10% might get 13%. Sh- a pie tell chart me that, that right now, yeah, exa- I, I can't tell if the majority of people are getting this. So I need to know right. that. And I've heard some things. And fire, that would be helpful yeah. because there's. There's different things for fire engineers, exactly for fire captains. So it would be helpful to have a pie chart that said 20% of people are going to receive a 7% raise, you know, whatever it is. Um, the other it thing- also though, well, last thing, it also seems like we forgot a few things. Like it's been brought to my attention that no one made adjustments to a separate level band system for for sergeants, right? And uh, I mean, so again, these are all very new, fresh items. But I think there's a bunch of tactical things to make sure that. We covered all the bases. And at the end of the day, my hope is that I can see clearly a picture that says 80% of our officers are getting X percent raise. And then 20% of them are getting Y percent raise. And that covers everybody and includes the take-home car piece. It includes the retirement health benefits. And then I can sit back and say, all right, they asked for 15. Do I believe, while maybe it isn't 15, that this is extraordinary in compared to years past and in compared to what the challenge we're facing today is and what they go through for all of us every day or not. And so, then I can sit back and say, oh, am I going to support it or am I going to push back on it? Yeah. You know, and, and the entire budget process is about compromising. I mean, if we could do everything we wanted to do, our budget instead of $2.6 billion would be $4.6 billion. So, I mean, there's just never going to be every dollar you want to do everything you want to do. Here's something I think you might uh, appreciate just – philosophically, not to abuse that word tonight, but, um, and I'll ask our CFD and CMPD listeners to email or, or tweet us or, or whatever method you prefer to tell me what you think of this. Cause it's, you know, I don't know, maybe you hate it, maybe you love it. You often like to question, okay, well, why do we even have the structure we have? We've talked about this a lot with Stormware and other things. Is this step process where you top out after, you know, however many years, let's say 13, 14, 15 years, you top out, and then all you're ever going to get is a cost of living increase raise. You don't get that merit kind of step increase. Is that even the right system? Should there be a system that allows people to top out, you know, before they're near the end of their career, and then kind of they hit this ceiling that they can't break through? Is that the system? So maybe the system, maybe you go back and say, we don't want to have a system that people top out in. If you're there and you're performing and you're, you're, giving your time over decades to, to our city in one of these roles, maybe we want people to be able to continue to get merit increases um, over and above that quote unquote top step. So, you know, that that's obviously not something we tackle in this budget, but maybe it's something we tackle in the next budget. Maybe we need to retool this entire system so that it works better for people. Uh, and we don't have people feeling like that they're not being properly compensated or appreciated. 
Yeah, and, and uh, interesting concept. I mean, yeah, this this is stupidly complicated. Like, how, it is. I can't even understand after reading the budgetary document who's getting what raise. That means it's too complicated. And just to close the loop on Jonathan Griswold's, you know, one his tweet, but his story tonight. I, I want to make sure everyone understands, and I know you feel the same way, Larkin. Um, you know that story, that harrowing story of when. You know, they arrived on a scene and, and got into, you know, live fire and had to go and, and not fire like, like gunfire. Sorry, yeah. that, that could be misinterpreted. I mean, that's these guys and ladies put themselves in harm's way for us. And, you know, I promise you we will. I, I'll speak for you on this, Larkin. We will not stop fighting through this budget process to make sure we do something extraordinary. I would prefer to see no tax increase a crazy big idea of maybe lopping off something that we do because we can, not because we have to in this stormwater. And I won't recap all that. I've said it before. And then go and do something extraordinary for our police officers and our, and our fire uh, fighters. Uh, that's what I would love to see. We must do that and we must take care of them. We can do other things and we can repri- reprioritize right now. Uh, so you have to clarify when you stop speaking for me. Which I'm going to still continue speaking which is, for you. Which is that I'm, uh, I am willing. Uh, at the end of the day, if there if there has to be, oh yeah, I did continue speaking if, on your behalf. If there has to be a tax increase <laughs> for us to do right by police, for us to do right by fire, for us to do right by giving people opportunities to to live in housing that they can afford in this community, uh, that is not off the table for me. But there does not have to be a tax increase, and I will say it again: well, we could do this if we if we found the. We'll let you go back to the dry erase board and figure out how to do it without one, and then I will consider your presentation. But that is an op- to me that option is is very much on the table if that's what we have to do to do right by the people in this community that need us to do right by them. Um, unless you had any other points on that, I did want to make one final. Um, we got to talk about our uh, our town halls too. We do. Again. Actually, we'll do that last. I'm going to make one final little okay. news story that somehow we we overlooked. Um, it is all but now officially reported that David Tepper, who is part owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, who will now have to relinquish that part ownership, I think five percent he owns of the Steelers, will be the new majority owner of the Panthers. Um, that sale between one or two point one and two point five billion dollars somewhere in there. Um, so congratulations to Mr. Tepper. And I can only presume that as he is reaching out to people in the Charlotte community, they will say to him, to best understand what is going on in this city, I highly advise you listen to R&D and the QC. So Mr. Tepper, as you hear this episode as part of your due diligence of better understanding our community, I would like to invite you to come on to R&D and the QC as your first Charlotte interview. Well, should we see what kind of package he's looking well, for? Well, we're not going to make any offers. There's not going to be any... any uh, Tep dog, listen it, up. It's bud. just going to be get to know you. We're not going to accept, uh, deny, make any offers, uh, speak I got, on behalf of the council. We just want to get to know him, let him know what a good group of people we are. And then he will certainly, I would think, say, <laughs> you know what? I don't need anything. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. We, we have the same dialogue <laughs> on this topic all the time right now, which is, we don't know who the new ownership is. Now and, we do. Well, now we do, and we don't know what their ask is, which we still don't. But yeah. I will. I, here's my Once he meets us, here's my I think guess it goes on this down. one. We have a rough road ahead of us with the ask that's going to be coming. With all these priorities today that we we have yet to figure out, we are going to have a, a big challenge deciding what the role of government for that one's going to be what constitutes a good versus bad deal for taxpayers and how it falls within these other priorities. And I'm not saying we don't know what the ask is. We've got to keep talking on those talking points. And you and this I is not spend, e- this is going to be a tough road. You and I will it. likely on this show spend hours over the next 6 months uh, talking about this issue so we won't do it tonight. But I do want to make sure that folks that are listening uh, that maybe weren't paying attention the last time there was a deal around the Panthers are aware is that the money that we will look to deploy if and when it's needed um, around the Panthers comes from tourism funds that are that are earmarked kind of piggy banks that can only be used for certain things. So so I don't want anyone in this community to ever think that when we look to do something like we've discussed at Memorial Stadium, which is a, a relatively small in comparison to some of these others investment um, in things that attract people to our community in a tourism way. I don't want anyone to ever think that we're doing that in lieu of affordable housing, in lieu of police and fire pay, in lieu of 
stormwater yes, or whatever. Yes, we're raising taxes on you in completely other areas for that stuff. Actually, we'll raise taxes actually, here. Actually, tourism for those taxes, we are charging to people who don't live here. Because by That's nature, when, rental cars, when you pay for a rental car or you rooms, pay for a hotel room, these are people not in our community who are helping fund investments in our community. Well, so you know me. You, you know I like uh, you know I like all kinds of different taxes. Buddy. Well, anyway, so I don't want people <laughs> to mistake those things because oftentimes people say, you know, why are you doing this when you need to do this? Well, some of these taxes, things like the hotel tax, the rental car tax, they have to be used for certain things that are tourism related. This will be one of them. So we'll we'll dig into that more later. Yeah. Uh, town halls, pitch yours. Yours yes. first. My town hall, we already talked about it, I think, last week. So I, I just, if you are listening to this tonight, Monday night, or tomorrow, Tuesday morning to early afternoon, you can still make it 5.30 p.m. Morrison Library, um, District 6 Town Hall, focus on customer service. We got the chief of police. We got the new fire chief. We've got the director of the airport. We've got the new director of uh, planning. We're talking about UDO, South Park CNIP public safety, airport noise, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to focus in on customer service and the client experience for the first time ever in the history of government. You said 5.30 to 7.30? 5.30 to 7. I might just try to stop by. Swing on by. We'd uh, love to have you uh, have you there. I'll put you up on the hot seat. We'll do a mini a mini podcast live. Uh, maybe. Nope. Um, so my town hall, District 1, Saturday, this coming Saturday, May 19th, from noon to 2 p.m. at the Midwood International Cultural Center, which is on Central Avenue near the plaza. And um, we're going to be talking about historic preservation. So we're going to have a phenomenal panel of folks, including past elected officials, historians, um, the folks that lead the Historic Landmarks and Historic Districts Commission, our new planning director. I think he's going to be at yours, too? Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're putting Taiwo to work this week. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a great discussion around preserving our historic landmarks, preserving our historic neighborhoods, and um, and protecting some of the things that make Charlotte unique and special. So, uh, and unlike yours, mm. I'm going to have food from the great folks at Queen City Q uh, over on Sixth Street. So, if you're hungry on Saturday, even if you don't want to listen to me talk, come grab a slider. I would have thought you'd be serving different types of granola and stuff. No, well, we'll, we'll maybe have that as an option. If I don't own patchouli, will you still let me in? I will. You're, I, I, you know, every, here, here's the thing about District One. Everybody's welcome, Tark. <laughs> Everybody, even people, even people like. What you. if I'm starkly against like uh, murals and stuff like that? Am I still invited in? I well, thought you I said, said that was when mandatory. I, when I said everyone's welcome, I meant other than people who hate murals. If you hate murals, yeah, yeah, you're out. Stay you're in out. South Charlotte. I, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to South Good. Charlotte. Yes. Um, all right. So that's our, I think that's, I think that's enough. I think, yeah, I think we've beaten all this stuff. A lot's happened in the last seven days. I am our thirty-minute episode. I think just went fifty. We had yeah, we had Mother's Day too the, over the weekend. Shout I out missed. To shout out to my daughter, please. Uh, you know what's Happy crazy? Birthday. Charlie May just turned three today. I snuck over to her school, played guitar for her and her other three-year-old friends. That was fun. And then I Facetimed in when they blew out the uh, candles on the cake while we were in council tonight. That's where I was gone. For oh, that when I was time. talking. Yeah, when you were talking. <laughs> So uh, miss that, but all three of my children this year, whose birthdays are, are having a birthday, are having a birthday this year in this four month stretch. Oh, okay, and they're all on Mondays. Uh, Terrible. Well, at least that means that they won't be again for six years. That's right. So get it out of the way now. Perfect. All right. So happy birthday. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Make Rate sure you the subscribe. Podcast. Rate the podcast. Rate it. Like it. Share Good it. Good grief. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Over and out. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Mark Eggleston.